this time on Chew Diligence, Mean Mule Distilling Company. Uh, I come from five generations of distilling tradition. Jeff Evans tells us how that history is guiding them now. I come from this line of like really badass women, and at this point I'm just trying not to let them down. <laughs> how his family story helped him name the brand. Uh, kick open the store and come face to face with like 1,500 pounds of Mean Missouri Fury. And their growing business distilling American agave spirits. We've been very careful to not be tequila, not be mezcal, not call ourselves these things whatsoever, uh, because those are beautiful, but they're their own thing, right? Mm -hmm. North of the border, we make American agave spirits. And so we've, we're doing our best to kind of define what that looks like here. This episode of Chew Diligence. Welcome, everybody, to the Chew Diligence uh, Podcast Studio 41 Action News. Lindsay Shively here with Jill Silva. And today we have Jeff Evans, CEO of Mean Mule Distillery. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jeff, we like to start with First the Food to talk about all of the great spots around town that we've been frequenting. Um, I'll start, Jill. I eat lunch at 8 in the morning during the week. (laughs) Yes, you do. Occupational (laughs) occupational result of that. Um, So I have found the most amazing breakfast burrito at Crow's Coffee, which is really close to the station. And it turns out Crow's has a little subset in their company called the Baked Crow, and they make all of their pastries and burritos from scratch. I had no idea. Oh. This it's, is great info. Yes, because I, because I eat, I go out to eat for breakfast so often during the week, um, finding really good coffee because I drink my coffee black and really good hot food is kind of tough. So this is really exciting news for me. They serve messenger coffee, which I think is delightful. Oh, fantastic. Right, right. So yeah, breakfast burrito at Crow's, I give two thumbs up. That is a great tip, Lindsay. Thank <laughs> you for that. Those of us who don't like to get up that early because we don't drink enough coffee right, <laughs> have to go for lunchtime. And recently I went with a group from Harvesters to Parlor for a team building lunch and hadn't been there in a while. So I was like, hmm, Sura Eats, I have to, because their Instagram, first of all, is so beautiful, Mm -hmm. which, you know, that's how we're introduced to a lot of different dishes these days. So true. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, Now I'm trying to pronounce the correct names of each of these dishes, right? Oh, no. I I was doing okay. And I'm like, so that one right there, I point, is that the bibimbap? Yeah, I'm telling you. And he's like the guy at the register. I don't know. That's right. And I'm like, seriously? You just got to say it fast. Anytime I go out, I'm like, the baby me baba. Yeah. They're like, what? I'm like, the baby me baba. Is it good? How was it? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's everything that came out of there looked looked wonderful. Um, But yeah, Jeff, you say you have a little bit of trouble, like... Oh, yeah. You start to veer left, right? Yeah, so you, you walk <laughs> up the stairs, and you have Mother Clucker to your left, and you have Sir Eats right in front of you. And uh, most of the time when I go to parlor, uh, I'm there with my wife because, you know, we work together, and, and we're just down the street there at Mean Mule. And so we walk in, and my heart says, you know, go to Mother Clucker, right? Yeah. Because um, it's, you know, it's so everything good. I want. But, I mean, Sir is incredible as well. So it's either, you know, you, you have your heart choice or your head choice, and really they're both incredible. So the majority of the time I do Siri Eats just because it's incredible and 
Uh, and it's good for you. I oh, mean, it's great that for is, you. That is yeah. ba- a balanced, a balanced diet with a lot of healthy vegetables. Yeah. But I have to say, I want to say Mother Clucker over and over because oh, yeah. what a great name. Oh yeah. What a great name and great shakes. <laughs> oh man, great fries. Great Wait a chicken. second, Lindsay. You've also had fries and and shakes. And shakes. And... Oh, the shakes. It's the shakes are very Instagrammable. Oh yeah. But also good. They're also very good. You're beating me on this. Let's see. They're like stacked like, full of like full little powdered donuts and oh see you're you're just getting around the world a little faster than i am <laughs> no, over there no what else have you had at parlor at parlor uh, yeah. we had uh, I can't, uh, we had the empanadas from carbone those mm. were awesome really really good. Mm-hmm. yeah but this has been a while we we're talking about how we need to go back to parlor because that was from our trip probably the month they opened which has been That's a long a time now, now. Yeah. yeah yeah and speaking of parlor yeah. i mean just what a Block away, Jeff. How That's far right. is Mean Mule Distilling? Uh, you could throw a baseball between the, the two. Yeah, we're about uh, two buildings down. Is this a new spot you guys opened recently? Uh, we've had the building in some way, shape, or form since 2016. Okay. And uh, we opened up a front of house, a bar, uh, just to kind of showcase our product and have some fun. And uh, we don't take it too serious. It's really just for fun. And it's been a, a cool adventure. What do you guys make at Mean Mule? Oh, man. So Mean <laughs> Mule, we make American agave spirit. Uh, as of this year, we are the largest producer of agave spirits in the United States. What? Yeah. What? That's wow. Right. Really? Yeah. So uh, thanks to a partnership with uh, Boulevard, we supply all of the spirit for their margarita and their fling canned cocktail series. Wow. And so it's been a wonderful, just wonderful um partnership with them, and they've been incredible. Um, honestly, just the sweetest people to work with. Mm. And uh, we're very, very proud to be uh, you know, working with them. That is so cool. So back us up. Tell sure. us the story. How did you, oh, how did you get, <laughs> get into agave spirits? Did you go down to Mexico and like, you know, have a fling and what, discover? Well, let's see. Let's start from the beginning. Yeah. So uh, I come from five generations of distilling tradition. Mm. Uh, my great, great, great grandmother imported from Germany in the early 1800s, uh, started a company, built her first still. She passed it down to her daughter who passed it down to her daughter. So I come from this line of like really badass women. And at this point, I'm just trying not to let them down. <laughs> and so in the 1920s, we had a little bit of a social and economic change as far as alcohol is concerned in this country. We call that prohibition. Mm. Didn't stop my family from making their hooch. It just made them a little bit more careful. And at the time, my great-grandfather, Fitz, was running the company. Well, one day, one of his uh, customers decided he'd gotten a bad deal, so he reported Fitz to the feds. So here come these two revenuers up the long driveway to the house. They're going to take Fitz to jail. All 12 kids are out on the front porch crying, and my grandmother told this story over and over and over. So Fitz was fast, so he runs, and they can't catch him. So they just decide they're going to search the property, find the operation, shut it down, and come back and get him later. Well, uh, they find this building on the back of the property, and they know the operations in there. What they didn't know is that Fitz, being a very careful fellow, had built a false floor. And <laughs> underneath the floor, he had his operation. On top of that floor, he had gone out and he had bought the meanest mule that money could buy. <laughs> and he left it, right? So these two revenuers in their arrogance and really their ignorance uh, kick open this door and come face-to-face with like 1,500 pounds of mean Missouri Fury. And within two minutes, one man drug the other one down the driveway and then never came back. Wow. So that's where the name That's where the name comes, comes from. from. Yeah. Mean one mule. mean mule saved five generations of distilling tradition. Wow. So, what a story. Fast forward to 2015, 2016. 
Uh, we wanted to carry on the reins of the family tradition, but also do something new. And uh, as you all know, uh, agave is an incredible substrate for a, um, a spirit, right? Has its traditions in, there's like 3,000 years of tradition and religious belief uh, surrounding the agave plant itself from Mexico and southern uh, United States, kind of the whole southwestern desert area. And so what we wanted to do is, without misappropriating 3,000 years of tradition for agave in itself, we wanted to start what that looked like in this country, right? What does an agave spirit look like here? And so we've been very careful to not be tequila, not be mezcal, not call ourselves these things whatsoever, uh, because those are beautiful, but they're their own thing, right? Mm -hmm. North of the border, we make American agave spirits. And so we've, we're doing our best to kind of define what that looks like here. What for someone sitting at home going, I know what tequila and mezcal right. taste like, what's the taste difference? So it's going to be somewhere in between a rum and a um, mezcal or a tequila. It's kind of in that range. It has a lot of the beauty of agave, a lot of the sweetness, a lot of the character, flavor, floralness. But some of the processes we use are closer to a rum process uh, because the, uh, the substrate that we use would be closer to what they would use for a rum as well, sugar to sugar. Can you, um, can you define substrate oh, for us? Yeah, absolutely. So there's... Because uh, I don't know. Do you know, Jill? I, I'm taking an educated <laughs> guess yeah. here from context. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, because of import laws, we can't bring in uh, whole agave peñas from Mexico, right? Truckloads okay. and truckloads. What we have to bring in is a processed organic Right. So we have a small agave farmer in Mexico who um, we keep pretty close to the chest. Great dude. And uh, he processes it for us, shoves all his agaves in an oven, blends it all up, uh, presses it all out, and he sends us that. So what does that look like when it gets here? Oh, it's pretty sticky. It's pretty (laughs) sticky and really dark. It's like a solid or a liquid? It's a liquid. liquid. It's dark. See, I would have thought because the end spirit is clear Clear. that it would have been clear. It almost looks like maple syrup, but it's nearly black. Interesting. Right. So it's really, really, really roasted and comes in uh, tasting uh, like this smoked, beautiful, sweet, uh, mesquite tasting. Like it's so thick. Uh, It's just beautiful. Mm. And so we use that in our fermentation process. uh, And then 13 to 18 days later, you know, fermentation is done and we... We put into our stills, and uh, I've got a background in mechanical engineering, and I uh, I built full-scale production machines for large-scale manufacturers for the better part of five, six years. Wow. And so uh, I've got machines out at Tesla and uh, GM and Ford and Nissan. And, that you designed? Oh, yeah. And so, uh, so I did that for a few manufacturing firms, and I decided to do all that for myself. So all my equipment I designed and built by hand and... Uh, all the processes I, I designed and I built by hand. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite the adventure. Are there major differences in the way that you design your equipment than what the standards are and what would the, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, ease of manufacturability would be one. Um, when I built all my stuff, I didn't have, like, millions of dollars of manufacturing equipment to, like, build, you know, all this all these metallic units. So, um it's pretty simplistic. There are some things that I did a little bit different just based on some theories. My brother's a chemical engineer and a metallurgical engineer, so we kind of got together on, like, 
what processes we could put together to like pull out some flavors, drop hmm. some stuff out. Because when you have a still full of a liquid, you know, it's not all just alcohol. You have hundreds and hundreds of different chemicals in there that all impart different flavors to your uh, to your end product. And so some you want to keep, some you don't want to keep, right? Methanol, we would prefer not to have in the mixture, right? And it's a naturally occurring uh, chemical that happens in fermentation, right? So uh, there are some processes we use to pull all that out. There are some processes we use to pull other alcohol, you know, propanol, that kind of thing out mm. as well. And so what's left is a very, very, very clean spirit. Uh, and it really allows the agave to, uh, to, to come forward. Does the type of metal matter? Does that affect the taste? Oh, yeah. Really? So uh, sulfur is a byproduct of fermentation. Uh, yeast, they it's one of the things they create. What happens is in the fermentation process, uh, yeast, uh, to kind of fight everything else in a tank, will release sulfur, and then they'll drop the pH of the tank, and that binds any bacteria or in, anything that would exist inside the the um, you know the mash, right? So that that allows the uh, yeast to kind of control their territory and then eat all the the sugar. Also, that sulfur, the naturally occurring sulfur in the process, needs to be removed. So uh, you use copper, and the sulfur reacts with copper, creates copper sulfide, and sticks to the inside of the copper. And then once you're done with a, uh, a distillation process, you just run some acid through it. It cuts all the, the uh, copper sulfide out, and then you have clean copper again. Wow. So what else goes into the process? You've got the agave yeah. syrup. What else? Uh, water okay. and yeast. And the yeast. Hmm. And the yeast, are you using wild or are you using cultured varieties? Oh, no, no, no. So uh, the beauty of uh, the beauty of tequila and mezcal is that you have all these naturally occurring yeasts that happen on the, uh, the agave plants themselves. Um, we don't have that here in the States because we don't have millions of agave plants around us. You know? Right. So we have to use a, a cultured yeast. And so we have a proprietary blend that we've developed over a while now, and uh, it works pretty well. This fascinates me about yeah. distilling. We've, we've done brewing and distilling. We've talked about this before with, with Crane asking them about where they get their, where, where do you get your crazy yeast, right? Right. Well, and it so much affects the taste of the final product. Yeah. How, how long does it take to make one batch, one distillation? Oh, start to finish, right. 30 days. 30 days. Yeah. Depending on how lazy I am, sometimes it takes 45 days. Yeah, but 30 days is about the average. And well, is your sorry, is your um, agave ready to drink, or do you like it to? Is mm. it best to to age? You know, right? because that's tequila. Yeah, right, we do. Right. We uh, we do age our agave. We have a gold product that we age for about eight weeks, and it's beautiful. We use uh, number three char Missouri white oak barrels. Mm. Uh, so we have a small cooper here in uh, Boonville that we use called Cooper Fifty Three, I think, and it's a small family cooper, and. Uh, they have just incredible barrels, and so we we just rest for eight weeks. It's it's not a lot of time, hmm. but it provides just a little bit of caramel and a ton of vanilla, and lets the spirit just kind of rest and mellow. Oh, it's beautiful. It's pretty cool that Missouri's oak barrels are you know known around the country yeah. too, right here in your backyard. Yeah, California oak kind of tastes like pickle. So there's <laughs> a, there's not we don't like that as much as we like Missouri white oak, which tastes like vanilla. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who knew? So what was the spirit that your um, 
your grandmother, great grandmother, your yeah, they, what, what, what were they making? Because uh, I bet it was not agave. <laughs> no, no, there wasn't a lot of uh, market for that. No, uh, fruit brandies and okay. uh, wheat and corn whiskey. That sounds like like what that time period would have asked for. So, what is it about agave that I'm reading is becoming one of the hottest spirit categories out there? Yeah. A lot of it is the allure about it. I mean, you have you have religions that have been started around this plant, right? Right. Um, something about uh, the the hardiness of it and the the strength of the plant itself, and it's. Uh, it's dangerous if you've ever been around one. I mean, they're sharp. They're spiky, right? I've only seen pictures. Um, they look uh, huge and, yeah, yeah sword-like. Sword-like, yeah. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Um, and it's um, like just aloe just with beautiful. a temper, maybe. <laughs> yeah, aloe with a temper is a good way of putting it. <laughs> so that's that's a lot of it. Um, the fact that it can grow where nothing else can. Yeah. You know? um, and, you know... In the in the early '90s, there was uh, an agave blight that happened. Right, you had a fungus and a bacteria that paired up on a uh, on all these older agave plants. Right, so most uh, tequila and mezcal agave has to be harvested in about the seven year point. Um, and there's some reasons for that in, because of the um, the carbohydrates inside of the plant begin to break down at about that point. It makes them really easy to to use. Um, so all of these older plants started dying in the agave blight, and that's been going on for a while. So in, I think in about four years, you had 70 or 80 tequila manufacturers go out of business in the early 90s, right? That's wow. a lot. Yeah. Uh, so now everyone's fighting over these old plants. Uh, we didn't know that old plants were what we needed when we started this. We were using young plants, and uh, when we got into it, it just wouldn't ferment, right? We're like, what is wrong? Like, why can't we do this? Is it the yeast? What is the, what is the issue? So we paired up with, uh, with a winemaker, a friend, and we were telling about all these issues we were having, and he uh, helped us through uh, finding what we could do. And now, now we have a way of making these younger plants ferment. So it's uh, much more sustainable, much more sustainable, because now a crop can be harvested at like two years. Hmm instead of having to wait for seven to ten years for a plant. Right. It reminds right. me of how the older grapevines have just a lot more complexity. Do you take right. – you must not take the whole plant when you harvest. Uh, we take the pena. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, our, our farmer does. Our farmer uses the pena. And that's the heart, right? Yeah. The so, big old pineapple weighs 70, 80 pounds. So it's, is it literally like, like a pineapple, like yeah. a fruit in the middle? Yeah, it looks I like mean, a pineapple. I mean, it looks like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then all those spiky swords that mm-hmm. – they, they remain and continue to grow, or do you also... Uh, no, they cut them all off. Cut them off. Yep. Okay. Now, is there anything in those? There can be. They um, they do make, like, pulque out of that stuff, and so there are some things that you can make out of those, but for the most part, our, they just use the pena. Yeah. So how, how did you find your um, Mexican source? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, so, I, so it's funny. I, uh, I found a website, then another website, then another website, and, like, kind of just went through and then found a phone number. So I call the phone number, and uh, and this guy answers, and he says, "Hola." I said, "Hey, my name's Jeff. Um, you know, I want to I want to buy some uh, agave from you." And he's like, "Oh, okay. How much?" I was like, "I don't know." And I shot him like a gallonage, like this much. And I hear on the other end of the phone, like far away, he was like, "Santa Maria." Like, <laughs> 
And he goes, uh, okay. And I said, how much? And he goes, uh, and he like shot me a number. And I was like, okay. And he was like, okay, Santa Maria. <laughs> and so uh, it's been a great relationship with this guy. Every time I call, first ring, he picks up and he's like, hola, jefe. <laughs> He knows and, it's you. Yeah, he knows it's me. <laughs> and so uh, we were working on this boulevard order, and we were trying to, like, be very mindful with them of, like, our end price and trying to get them what they needed and just kind of working with them. And, and so I called Gregorio, and I said, hey, um, I've got a question for you. We've got this enormous bulk, bulk order we're kind of working with. And I said, I just want to make sure, are you ever going to run out of agave? And he goes, oh, not for jefe. <laughs> and I said, well, in, okay, that's great. Thank you. And I said, in the same sense, you know, do you have any cheaper agave? And he goes, oh, not for jefe. <laughs> so that's that's why we get the service we do is I think at this point we've probably bought him a house or two. It's a it's a large quantity. So if you'd it's gone with him and said, I only, you know, really small amount, he probably would have blown you off. That's or, true. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. But, you know, it gives us an opportunity to like, I mean, we, we pay him uh, well, right? And that's what we want. We want to uh, provide jobs for him and his people. We want to provide a life for his family. And so for us, um, that that matters, right? Uh, sustainability matters and, and treating people fairly matters for us. And so I'm thinking of Kansas City as very much a uh, Pendergast kind of uh, whiskey kind of town. Mm-hmm. How have people accepted agave spirits do they understand them do they get how they fit into kansas city's uh overall cocktail makeup you know that's that's been interesting that's been an interesting journey um i think that people are suspicious (laughs) right suspicious suspicious because you know for for a lot of things for a lot of spirits the last 15 to 20 years things have kind of been abused right and so, you know, what do you mean? Uh, things have been like Jose Cuervo, for instance, not tequila. It says made with tequila, but it's mostly corn, mm-hmm. right? But they blow up the word tequila on the bottle really big, even though it says made with on the bottle in small letters right in front of it, right? So you have these these companies that have like kind of abused tequila, abused agave, right? And so then you have this new kid, me, on the block. Uh, shows up and everyone immediately is, you know, is kind of like, whoa, we got to make sure you're doing this right. Right? Uh, and our, our whole goal in this is to, like, do this right. Because welcome the scrutiny. Right. We welcome the scrutiny. We really do. Uh, there's going to be critics that you just can't satisfy, and that's okay. You know, we, we love our critics. We invite them to come down and taste whatever they want, you know, um, and we'll have open conversations with them, honestly. Uh, but we're not going to change who we are, Right. Uh, we're going to do this uh, in the way that our convictions say that we should do this and uh, the way that we believe is right, and we're just going to move forward with it. So what have the criticisms been? I'm curious. It's not tequila. That's it. At, uh, it's not supposed to be, right? Right. And we're like, yeah, you're right. It's not tequila. And they're like, yeah, but it's not tequila. And we're like, yeah, you're right. Okay. We're, we're on the same page. But that, that becomes a sticking point for people because they're like, well, you, you can't do anything outside of uh, Mexico that's agave. So can we define tequila, mezcal, and agave? Because I think sure. they're they're very similar, and it's a little bit confusing to people. So tequila is 100% blue agave. So that's the Weber blue agave, agave tequiliana. Uh, it has to be made within the tequila region of Mexico. So it's those two things, 100% blue agave, mm-hmm. tequila region of Mexico. Uh, 
mezcal can be made from many different types of agave. <laughs> Still has to be made in Mexico. It can be made from Weber Blue, Espadine. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of different varietals. So uh, mezcal is like the agave nerd's holy grail, right? Because <laughs> every bottle is different. Every recipe is different. Every company is different. They do something crazy. Um, and there are – like Vita has done some incredible job, uh, some incredible things here in Kansas City with uh, promoting agave and their mezcals. And it's been incredible, right? Uh, I've never been disappointed with a single bottle of Vita or really a single bottle of mezcal uh, whatsoever. It's, it's always an adventure. There are like – I think I think there are nine different types of spirits made from agave. Uh, and I was just reading a, an article on this earlier and I only remember the three uh, sotol – uh, which is technically not an agave. It's more of a cactus, but it still kind of counts. And then you have mezcal and tequila. Uh, American agave spirit, our American agave spirit is 100% blue agave. So it's made from the same stuff that uh, tequilas are made out of, 100% Weber blue agave, but we just make it in the States. So because of that, we have the designation American agave spirits. And was that a hard designation designation to oh, receive? Yes. Yeah. So the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Trade Bureau regulates every word on a bottle and the recipe and what you make it out of. It's it's a bit's involved. Uh, they don't like to do new things. <laughs> so when we started this, I think we were the second person or the third person, third company in the States that had actually made an agave spirit. Wow, you are way ahead of the curve here. We didn't know that at the time. We were like, at the time we were like, why is no one doing this? We'll just do this. Well, it's because the headache involved, Hmm. right? Uh, That no, I mean, St. George's uh, did an agave spirit and they said they would never do it again because it was so tough. And so, uh, so numerous, like days and days and days of phone calls with the TTB, and finally I found one person who would like listen. And I said, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to do. Help me. And she was like, yeah, I've got no problem with what you're doing. Let's approve it. And she approved it. And so I was like, what's your number? <laughs> Give me your number. And so now she's my contact. I call her every time. And now, as of uh, March of this year, the TTB has started a class designation for us. For American agave spirits. So you're official. So we're official. That's right. So no longer awesome. are we just other. Now we're American agave spirits in the class designation. And does that matter where in the country you're making it, just as long as you're making it somewhere? I mean, could I be in, I don't know, St. Louis? Could I be in sure. Minneapolis? Could I be, yeah, yeah make it anywhere? States. Okay. Just as long as you're not tequila, because <clears throat> that has a denomination of origin. Right. So a little bit like we were talking off yeah. mic about like, like champagne. Mm-hmm. Like you can call a sparkling wine a sparkling wine, but it's only champagne if it comes from champagne. Yeah. And there's a couple of uh, wines that are like that port has mm-hmm. to be made in Portugal. Right. right. Um, most, I mean, any Bordeaux or uh, any of your major French wines <coughs> have to be made and in region. France. Right. Yeah. It's all regional. Right. So talk about the other people uh, that are a part of Mean Mule. Oh, yeah. So uh, there is Meg, my wife. Uh, She is, man, she's crazy. (laughs) She's amazing. Uh, Beautiful and powerful and terrifying and wonderful. (laughs) Uh, And I 
jokingly gave her the uh, nickname of the warden. Um, just, I mean, you talk about a go-getter. You talk about someone who gets stuff done. Uh, that's Meg. And uh, she is fire and fury and amazingness. Uh, she does literally everything. Anything that takes, I mean, our our investors have this running joke. They're all, you know, lawyers and CMOs and CFOs for various companies. And they have this running joke. They're like, well, we don't know what to do. We'll just give it to Meg, right? <laughs> and uh, she has this tenant, this tenacity to get things done that just no one has, right? She's your Meg Giver. Uh, that's, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, the MacGyver. That's right. She uh, she can get things done. Uh, then our uh, our brand guy, CMO, kind of the X Factors, a guy by the name of Patrick Little, he uh, works in marketing and advertising and has for a long time and just has kind of this third eye, third perspective on everything. It's beautiful. And uh, so the, that's the the main core team and me. And uh, I really have no idea what I bring to the table other than just uh, I don't know to quit. You know, that's, that's probably all. Uh, you got a great name yeah, that, that great translates name, into, into, yeah. into, you know, Spanish. This, this Jefe, Jefe right? that's it, yeah. <laughs> great team, great team. And then uh, the rest of our guys help us do, like, deals and uh, mergers and acquisitions and that kind of thing. So, so you have a tasting room. Des- we do. Describe that because that makes you sound – very little, but we know you have big business going on behind you. So, so talk. Okay, about, what, the tasting room is yeah. great. So, uh, we wanted to start this uh, this program that really just uh, celebrated who we were, and so it's like Southwest meets Grandma's house at the same time. <laughs> and so we have this uh, beautiful blue leather Chesterfield couch and a Persian rug, and then uh, like a little shrine with like candles and agave and it's really super southwest and just beautiful and uh, our cocktails are really really well done um, but also we have the opportunity to offer our product and our cocktails at a lower price point than uh, the rest of the places around here because our, our margins are obviously pretty good on our cocktails so we wanted to pass that on to people right so instead of walking in and get a $15 cocktail you walk in and you get like an $8 cocktail mm. right because we wanted to pass that on and really just celebrate who we were. And what kind of cocktails are on your menu? Oh, man. You should try the Paloma. Mm, yeah, the grapefruit? Pal- uh, Pamplemousse liqueur, which, as everyone knows, Pamplemousse is the smallest of all the mousses. So, <laughs> yeah. And everyone's favorite LaCroix flavor. That's At right. least mine. Yeah. It's my favorite LaCroix flavor, too. Are you LaCroix or LaCroix? Well, I was LaCroix until the company came out and said, we pronounce it LaCroix. And you're like, no, you're wrong. It's actually LaCroix. Thank you. <laughs> but en français, it is LaCroix, right? That's LaCroix. right. Absolutely. Yeah. LaCroix. Well, I had the opportunity to taste. You guys did um, the cocktails for the Frida Kahlo opening yeah. at Powell Gardens. Oh, yeah. And also came out um, for Salsa y Salsa, mm-hmm. and that was the featured cocktail at the bar as well. So... Got my first taste there. Then there was maybe an inch of spirit left in one of the bottles that somebody handed to me. I took it home and I tasted last night yeah. just just the straight spirit. And the first thing I taste is uh, that sweetness. Yeah. And the next thing I taste is sort of this warmth, this yeah. sort of what I love about mezcal so much is that smoky kind of mm. smooth warmth that kind of warms the back of my throat. You know, uh, we just wanted to make something we liked. 
That's that's really what it comes down to. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I'm sorry that your bottle's empty. Come down and we'll get you another <laughs> I'll one. I'll have to fill it up. Yeah, come yeah, on down. Yeah, it was just... Uh, well, it was, well, I think we have one or two we could, we could probably pull was, out of the back. You know, it's just enough for one more drink, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this a place I can get... I can get Mean Mule in the sure. liquor store oh, yeah. around here, or yes? Yeah, Yeah. so uh, Mean Mule right now I think is statewide in Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma. Uh, we're working on Colorado right now. And so, uh, but yeah, you come down to the tasting room, we have bottles for you. Uh, there's, we have tons of partners around the city that do sell uh, our stuff, like Mike's is probably your best place to get. Uh, Mike's and Celeret are your best place to probably get it here around town. Uh, Mike's routinely runs specials at like 31 30 bucks a bottle. And so, and they've been just wonderful to us. They really have. Now, do you just have one product or multiple products? You had mentioned something about, uh, yeah. Yes. So uh, we have our silver. Our silver is uh, unaged. We rest it for a little bit to kind of let the the spirit play play nicely with itself. And then uh, our gold sits in uh, number three char, Missouri white oak barrels, for eight weeks. And we pull it out and then dilute it and put it in bottles. And that's your complete line right there? Yeah. Okay. Is there any, like, expansion ideas? Oh, yeah. So we have plans for two more products. Now, here's where it gets a little interesting. So uh, we decided to use silver and we decided to use gold as a naming scheme for two products because we've seen that in rum as well. And so that comes down to, like, well, that that feels safe, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like we're stealing that from from a culture. It sounds like that's been used a couple times. But now – you have Reposado and you have Inyeo. So now we're in this zone where we're like, well, we have an opportunity to redefine what this looks like here, but we can't use Reposado and we can't use Inyeo because that would be, in our opinion, that would be misappropriating. That would be taking, right? So we have plans to do these two new products. If you come up with a name, let me know. <laughs> we're, we're open <laughs> it's, to it's open. It's open. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're open. So, um, so that's really... That's really kind of where we're at here. We're going to have two two more agings, two more agings. But you're not sure what those what those are called. Yeah, we're working on it. It's it's an open concept right now. And so then, do you have to go back to the TTB at the time that you have this idea and say, "Hey, we want to call it this, and it's going to be this process." And this. we do, yeah. and then they uh, they have to approve it. The they call that a cola center of label approval. So they look at the formula, uh, which they also have to approve, and then they look at the cola and they say, "Okay, this is okay." And then they, they let us call it that. And how long does that generally take? It can take between two weeks and three months, depending on, like, after the government shutdown, uh, when they had this huge backup of uh, colas, uh, we were looking at six months to get something approved. Right now it's at about two weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Back on track, mm-hmm. so to speak. <laughs> You were talking about your background in engineering and your yeah. brother's background in engineering, too, is yep. what he said. When did you leave the quote-unquote day job? Oh, man. Uh, March. March. This of March. This year. So you've been working. Yeah, so I've been working uh, as an engineer doing, you know, 40, 60, 80 hours a week as an engineer and then doing 40, 60, 80 hours at Mean Mule. So it's been, it's been an adventure. Wow. Is your brother part of the company, too, with you? No. 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 This is wild. Yeah, it's and, been a lot of fun. And what, when was the first distillation done? 2016? Uh, allegedly or officially. <laughs> that's, the, that's the big one. So uh, 2016, yeah. Uh, we, had, uh, we had a little partnership with uh, some guys in the crossroads, and we, we made some booze in their space for a while, for about three months. 
and uh, and then dissolve the partnership. And then because our uh, a building had opened up just across the alleyway, so uh, we shook hands and then jumped into that building and then went through the process of like licensing and everything for uh, for that building. I mean, this is three or four fast and furious years then that you guys have expanded to employees man, oh, and man. a huge yeah. region. And I mean, wow. Do you remember the first conversation, Boulevard, and how you were feeling? Yeah. So uh, I thought we were in trouble because they, they hit us up and they said, hey, come on in. We want to talk. And I was like, oh, I don't know what we did, but I'm sorry. <laughs> like, please don't hurt us. <laughs> and uh, and we went in and they were just so cool. And they said, hey, we like your stuff. And we were like, oh, well, thanks. Yeah. And they said, uh, how much? And I was like, well, you know, this is this is about what we have invested. And, you know, uh, and they're like, no, 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 per gallon. I was like, oh, OK. All right. Per gallon. All right. You don't want to buy us. And so uh, we worked out some stuff and it was it's just been awesome with them. And that was I mean, those cocktails have been out for about maybe a year. Yeah. Right. So this is even earlier on in your process. I mean, how yeah. old were you guys when you got that call? Oh, man. Uh, so let's see. We it was December, January of this year. So I think their cocktails have been out since March or April. Okay. Right. So we started supplying them in February, March. That range, wow. yeah, but they move quick. I mean, they are they are pros at what they do. So they they come up with an idea, and then it seems like the next day it's out. Mm. So they know what they're doing. So talk to me a little bit about um, this is this is cultural appropriation. People are talking oh, sure. about that. Let's let's talk about that. Oh what, sure. Do you get people saying, mm, you know, I'm I'm uncomfortable with this, or are we? We're creating this in an American, uh, in an American way, I guess. Um, yeah. And you're being very upfront about that. But yeah. but how does that how does that work? How do people talk to you about that? You know, uh, we invite those conversations. Uh, there's always purists, you know, in anything you do, and uh, we learn a lot from uh, from people that call themselves purists. Um, mostly because uh, they're experts, and I'll be honest with you, we're not. You know, I make one thing, you know, one and a half things, two things really. Um, and that's about where my expertise is. Uh, and so I I am always open to listening and learning. Um, people have great points that they bring up, you know. Um, and so what's, what's important for me is that people understand that they can come in and talk and I will listen. And so what kind of things do they ask you about? Like, hey. Oh, they want to make sure that the agave itself is harvested right, that the people are paid correctly. They want to ask about the terroir. Uh, they want to know um, if the sugars are harvested correctly uh, or if they, they use like a Solero process. Like it's a – they use the steam inject and blast uh, the agave to like pull all the stuff out and they believe that that's not pure. You know, they want the old oven style. Uh, they have questions on, um, whether or not it is 100% blue agave, um, pesticides, organic, you know, they just want to, they want to know these things. And so, you know, what we do is it is 100% organic, um, and it's, it's done in the traditional way. How often do you visit the farm or have you? Oh, I've never visited the farm. Never. No, uh, we plan to, Mm -hmm. we've planned to for a while now, just Mexico has that travel advisory. And uh, this would be right in the heart of it. So we just haven't. We're not brave enough is what it comes down to. How long is the – from the time that he harvests until it gets to you? Hmm. 
Let's see, I just ordered some two weeks ago, and it should show up by end of next week. So we're talking three, four weeks. All right. So I was reading a thrill list uh, story that was pretty interesting about how many celebrities have jumped on the um, tequila, mezcal, agave bandwagon. So what's going on there? That's kind of curious to me. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful to have your own brand, right? Yeah. So Dwayne The Rock Johnson just jumped on it. He's got his mana brand uh, that he came out with. Uh, It all started with... um, Oh, what's his name that did Casamigos, uh, World's Sexiest Man in 2015? Uh, it's not George Clooney. It right? is George Clooney. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. So <laughs> it all kinda, producer Haley. It all started with George Clooney. And then when people realized that you could sell a tequila brand for a billion dollars, then everyone jumped on it. So uh, that's, that's really kind of what's pushing it. It's, it's super in to have your own tequila brand right now. And so has anyone come to you and said, hey, hey, I'll be your spokesperson? Oh, yeah. yeah, we had one <laughs> rapper come in and, and say he wanted us to be make his own brand for him. And we're like, well, no. And he was like, oh, okay. So it's, it's cool. You yeah. know, we do get requests like that. What does that do, though, for a spirit to put it in the limelight? I mean, will people be learning more about the differences between tequila and mezcal and agave because these, you know, hot stars are interested in it or is it just one of those selling tools that sort of muddles the waters you know i think it's i think it muddles the waters uh people at that level people tend to be concerned with what's on the bottle rather than what's in the bottle and for us it's all about what's in the bottle rather than what's on the bottle Uh, that's why our labels are simple our bottles are simple our corks are simple everything's simple you know we want the spirit itself to like uh stand out and so for these celebrities, I mean, I would guarantee it's probably not the highest end stuff that they're putting in their in their um, their spirits, right? And their bottle and their brand. Yeah. Why are you are you uh, looking for a, uh, a a brand now to uh, to rep you? The uh, oh oh yeah because yeah I know. <laughs> Yeah. I know that could happen. <laughs> uh, no, no, I was just I was just really interested in reading. I, I, it had kind of escaped me because I don't pay much attention to sure. that. And so I was like, wow, look at George nice. Clooney and Justin Timberlake and, oh, you know, all Justin these different Timberlake. all these different rappers. And that's I'm right. like, whoa. I mean, I would buy Justin Timberlakes. That? Why not? You know, well, the alcohol game. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. But it's just kind of an interesting um yeah, marketing thing that I guess I just had not really sure. really zeroed in on. So, if it leads to more investigation by the casual consumer of what they are, well, I th- I think then people start to say, oh, what's the difference between mm-hmm. you know if you've got that kind of noise in mm-hmm. the marketing, yeah, uh, what is a Justin Timberlake, uh, you know, tequila versus a George Clooney tequila? Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah, what is the difference? And then and George then what Clooney is a tequila? what is a mean mule? You know, and so mm-hmm. what I'm seeing is you're going after a more artisanal right. product, um, yet you have very big. Uh, relationships so you could get big soon sure oh we've got aspirations for sure yeah um yeah so uh we are craft right and the 
the danger with being craft is how big can you get and still remain craft? Mm-hmm. Man, mm-hmm. I've been asking right. that question for yeah. 20 years, I think. It, like, where's the number? I'm fascinated like, by that question. Yeah, yeah, let me know what that number is, and I will stay less than that number. I right? don't think anybody knows what that is. It's a feeling, right? It comes down to authenticity, right? Yeah. Because as soon as it becomes name brand, it's no longer authentic. So how do you, how do you like, stay in that zone of being uh, for the people without losing yourself or losing your brand like how how do you how do you do that right that's it's a great problem to have right? yeah or keeping it affordable for people right, right. like mm-hmm. a lot of people don't buy 30 dollar bottles right. right of spirit so it's like telling your story so that they're willing to pay that extra price right. right but it's also the more popular you get the more yeah maybe the, the price band, yeah. The price goes down, but the demand goes up. And so at what point are you less authentic, I guess? Mm-hmm. Um, Reminds me of the, uh, you know, the same conundrum barbecue faces, right? Oh, yeah. Right. pay so much attention to the slow and steady process or hot and fast. That's a whole other, <laughs> whole other conversation. But if you open a restaurant versus your competition team, how do you grow mm-hmm. and stay true to it, right? And I, I, think that's, I think that's the burning question right now because we have – so much good spirit, so much good food out mm-hmm. there. How do we define, uh, you know, it was small people for a while that everybody was looking at that I was reporting on. I wasn't interested in chains or big things. I was interested in the small local people. The story. The story. But what happens when the story is not really that story anymore, you know? And so that's, I think we're an interesting Interesting times for sure. Interesting times, yes, absolutely. So, do you um, do you have bartenders out there and brand ambassadors oh, working do, yeah. on you know? Because I think a lot of people are going to say, "I yeah. don't know how to use this," just like they didn't know how to use agave and baking. You know, I will tell time. you what. Um, get on our website. We've got recipes. Uh, if you are at our bar and you like uh, a recipe, we will give it to you. Um, it's all about forwarding the brand. Right, and we have the the running joke for our bartenders and for the people who work at Mean Mule is uh, everyone who works for Mean Mule has a side gig at Mean Mule, you know, <laughs> uh, because we love our people and uh, we want them to be successful as well, and so we treat them really, really well. And so uh, one of our bartenders, Austin, uh, is just it's just wonderful, and so he does a lot of our branding as well and photography and Instagram. Uh, as well as coming up with cocktail ideas, uh, running the bar. Uh, and he's just a wonderful and sassy man. And uh, we love him <laughs> to death. And then uh, we have our tastings team uh, who also does like uh, our brand management as well. And then, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great team. So we always talk to some of the chefs and we think it's so fun that they always talk about the camaraderie in town, how they all know each other, small world. They like to hang out. They've mm-hmm. come up to the ranks together. Is there a camaraderie like that among oh. the stillers? The stillers are suspicious. <laughs> That's the whole thing because we all started in our basement uh, <laughs> allegedly doing things that are felonies. And uh, so we carry that through the entirety of our business model, right? So we're all like, ah, oh, someone's going to get us. And it's not true. Like the distillers in town are so, so cool. Uh, the 
But like beer guys, beer guys love each other. Uh, wine guys love each other and hang out. And so like I love hanging out with the wine guys and the beer guys. But anytime you meet another distiller, you're like, oh, like. Really? It's, yeah, it's awkward because, you know, they know and you know and you know that they know. And so like there's this thing where you're like, ah, oh, are we going to talk about this? What's going on? So but no, they're great, man. Uh, all the other distillers in town are just really cool people. And uh, and I've, I've really liked my interactions with them. Because I feel like we're starting to see more. Yeah. Well, I think we've definitely got quite a few. I mean, that is, I think the thing that's happening right now is distillers. First you had your mm-hmm. farmers and your chefs, and now it's distilling and brewing, right? Mm-hmm. Brewing might have been ahead of distilling. So distilling's coming along, and we're like, wow, who knew we had so much local product, Yeah. right? Yeah. And There's always been that much local product. But it's always been a secret. As, now they're uh, coming out of the woodwork and you're like, oh, okay, this has always existed. Interesting. Well, and creating great stories, right? So yeah. part, of the, part of that is the history. So a lot of them are playing on the history of, of prohibition, Pendergast. Mm-hmm. And you have a story, but your story is yeah. completely different. Totally different. Than, yeah. So was that deliberate and... Oh, the story? Thinking about the story and how to tell that story, because you tell it very well as well. Oh, man, I've told it so many times. That's the whole <laughs> well, thing, right? Well, it can right? get dull by that time, but you are, still have as much energy. Oh, thank you. Probably as the that. first time you told it. You know, uh, our story, uh, it was one of those where, like, Grandma told it over and over and over. We were like, ah, just stop with the mule story, Grandma, please. <laughs> She's like, you know, but she'd always come back to it like, I remember this time. And then she gets that, you know, nine-mile stare like, uh... And so it was a big deal for her. And, uh, and my wife and I, when we were talking about this company, I, we, I had a terrible idea for what we were going to call it first. Do tell. 816 Distillery. Shoot me now. Horrible, right? Terrible. Oh, awful. And my wife was like, your grandmother tells a story. Like, why don't we do this thing? And uh, I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, why didn't I think of that? So that's the, we went with it. Did you want to do that? Did you want to have a distillery for the family tradition and then decided agave? Which came first? Oh, man. Uh, this is funny. We we pretend that decisions were made intentionally. Um, really, we just kind of stumbled into agave. The story was – the family story was intentional, but we just kind of stumbled into agave um, because it was a challenge, right? And uh, And it boggled me, and then I just got obsessive with it, and then it's what we did. Yeah. So have your products gone to any kind of uh, competitions? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and how's it done? Well, so you know the problem with competitions is a lot of them aren't competitions anymore, right? You show up, yeah, you get your participation trophy, right? I don't want that. Okay. I want something I can lose at. Um, if I submit a product and they send it back and they say, this is terrible, that's what I want, right? I want real losers. So we uh, submitted product last year to the San Francisco Spirits Competition because they promised us that if it was horrible, they would let us know, right? And uh, we took two bronzes, hmm. so which uh, it's okay, you know. So it's, not it's really terrible, but there's yeah, terrible. there's there's, you there's know, room there's room to grow. I mean, of course, I expected you know platinum, but uh, you know it it's a challenge, right? It, no one wins uh, unless you're Tito's. No one wins your first time. So, mm. so, so what category do you compete in then? That's, if that's, not... that's the crazy thing. Uh, yeah. What do you is compete in? Is it tequila? In? Agave, other. 
Um, so we submitted for American Agave Spirits, and they said, well, we have a category. They did. And so uh, all four of us, or six of us, competed, and some of us got bronzes. I don't think anyone got – oh, one company got a gold, but they bought a high-end tequila from Mexico. They threw it in a barrel, let it sit for two weeks, and then sent it in, and they got a gold. And somehow that worked, and I'm angry about that. You're but saying, that's fine. You're saying they aged it in the United States, they, yeah. so therefore – So therefore, it counted as an agave spirit. So it's okay. I'm just going to lick my wound on that one. It's all right. It's fine. So did you get any good feedback from it? Because yeah. first of all, your category is small. Right? It's, it's small. Yeah. And um, did you get it? The judges may not know anything about it, That's right? True. So yeah. did you get anything useful out of it? I didn't talk to any of the judges. No, they sent it back. And I think uh, Patrick probably talked to them. I'm remembering. I think Patrick talked to them and they were like, yeah, it's good. Like, oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. And, and so Boulevard how did, thinks it's good. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're, they're very sweet to us. <laughs> so how how should one taste agave? Oh man, what's the best thing? Like I did last night, just pouring yeah. a little. Well, bit so what's into... your favorite thing? You know, that's that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, do you like gin cocktails? Try a gin cocktail. Do you like tiki? I love tiki personally. I love that's, tiki that's my too. Jam. Uh, oh, I love that boy. it's expressive. <laughs> I love that there's no rules. You can do whatever you want. So that's that's my preferred thing. Uh, do you like classic cocktails? Do you like Spirit Four? Do you like old fashions? You know, what do you want? So I encourage people to try uh, any way they like. They come up with a good recipe, let us know. We'll probably use it. Okay, tiki, go with it. Love tiki. Okay, tell me more. How does well, agave work into that? What would you make? We have one we call it's. A, I mean, it's a Jungle Bird. It's a riff on a Jungle Bird, right? Okay. Uh, and it's so good. Uh, we serve it at our bar. And uh, made a couple last night. Just absolutely fantastic. Um, I personally like pina coladas. Um, the joke is we call it a pina colada. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's a pun. <laughs> uh, I love puns. Uh, so that's pretty good. We've got a banana liqueur that we're uh, I'm trying stuff with right now. Um, and my team get oh, they're so mad. They're like Jeff, get out of tiki. I'm like no, I love it. So. It's, it's what I love. So it's versatile. It it's versatile. doesn't always have to be a margarita. No, it doesn't have to always be a margarita. It makes a great margarita. Yeah. I, I say that we have the second best margarita in Kansas City. And why do you say second? Because uh, it's hard to uh, defend first. So second, <laughs> second fiddle seems to be what everyone is okay with you being. So uh, I say second. It's great. It's a great margarita. Yeah. I think, I think that second best thing is kind of, <laughs> kind of coming into its own as well, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard about a coffee shop that was second best. Well, right. they're, they're pretty good. I was, uh, uh, I was remembering, actually, that's where we met before we started the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah. The, the, several times I took Jill to coffee when she's like, I'm not a huge coffee drinker. Like, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I try. I try so hard. They always Caffeine have other tasty stuff like for me to get. Yeah. But that, yes, that was the perfect place because we could have, um, well, as I remember, you were pregnant, so you could yes. not. You were not drinking, but we had um, the cocktail versions in the morning, hmm. which is perfect. Right? He's awesome. They're not. They're not even coffee, but it's just coffee cocktails. Cocktails, sure. Cocktails. cocktails I cocktails. think that's what they. Yeah, that counts. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
I'm going to have to try this margarita and the Paloma. Please come yes. down. Yeah, let us treat you right. Mm, in the crossroads. Awesome. What are your What are your operating hours like? Is it every day? Uh, Tuesday through, for you, just show up. Uh, <laughs> for, for any of you, just show up. Uh, for bars open between uh, Tuesday and Saturday, and we open at 4. There you go. Jeff Evans, thanks for coming on. Yes, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for educating us. Thank you. Learned a lot today. 